Let's turn our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23. We'll begin at verse 4 this morning. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. A little feedback. I got a little feedback in my microphone. I would like a little feedback from you this morning, okay? And so uh, do a little talking to me. Do whatever you have to do to get my attention. Uh, but uh, we're going to be looking at this second, um, this second uh, feast as we started in a new series last week talking about the seven feasts of the Lord. And uh, Leviticus 23 tells us about those seven feasts. I am, uh, as we had said as far as last week, that uh, when it came to the Sabbath, there was, we, we discussed that. We saw how it was so important for the, for the Jewish people. We saw that uh, how God had given them uh, that Sabbath day for rest. They would work for six days just as the Lord had created the heavens and the earth in six literal days. And on the seventh day he rested. He wanted his people to find that rest so that they can begin to work for the next week. It was a great principle. It was a great understanding for them to see. Today we get to worship the Lord Jesus Christ because he has done all of the work. And we start out the first day of the week in celebration that he rose from the dead. Today is like we celebrated last week. Is just as much is an Easter Sunday today as it was last week or back in last April. This is the day that the Lord has risen up. It was on the first day of the week. We celebrate that so that now as we start our work week, as we start tomorrow, that we can celebrate of what the Lord Jesus Christ has already done. Amen. And so there, that's where you answer back to me, okay? And so just a little head nod. I'll even take that a little bit this morning. And so we saw that last week, but that was something that they were to do each and every week. As we look at these seven feasts, again, we need to understand that this is something that was important for them then, but it was also a shadow of what was to come. It was for them to see what the Lord was doing in their midst for to look, look forward to and to anticipate uh, the coming, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ and many other things. And so as we look through these uh, five verses, verses four through eight, we're going to understand that it's tell, and I'm going to read it for us first, and then we're going to kind of break it down a little bit. So let's just look at the scripture in verse 4. It says, these are the feasts of the Lord. This was a time of celebration. It wasn't always about food, but many times it had something to do with food. But it said, this is a feast of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 14th day, the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. As we read those, that scripture, and if we were just to dismiss this morning, you would say to me, Garen, how does that even come close to applying to my life today? Here I am in De Quincey, Louisiana, and here it is, August the 12th. And I have kids running around. I have this going on in my work. I have this and that going on. Somebody told me last week after the conclusion of last week's sermon that they were going to take a Sabbath year this year. They were going to go to their boss and they were going to take a Sabbath year. I hope you didn't do that. I hope you saw the bigger picture of, of celebrating the Lord's Day and that you did not go to work. Uh, because guess what? Don't come to me. I cannot pay your bills. OK. And uh, I cannot uh, provide for you. 
So hopefully you get the bigger picture. I hope we find the same thing this morning as we look and dive into this scripture, what it meant for them back then, even and then now, what is it going to how is it going to apply to us? So again, this is the second feast in Leviticus 23. This is the start of the Jewish calendar. You see this when the Lord gives this to them in the book of Exodus. We're going to refer a lot back to the book of Exodus. But when the Lord does this, he is telling the Jewish people through Moses and Aaron, this is the start now of your calendar. This is the start. The Lord started the calendar for the Jewish people. And he tells them this will be your first month in your calendar. If I, my study and my information is correct, don't chastise me if it's wrong. But I believe they had 10 months in their calendar versus our 12 months. But this was the start. This is the first month in their calendar. And he tells us there in verse, uh, verse uh, 5 that it was going to be on the 14th day of the first month at twilight was going to begin the Lord's Passover. And so it was a start of their new calendar. It was really like their New Year's. And for us, that was, that would, this would be equivalent to the springtime for us. The beginning of spring is what this would be equivalent to us in our calendar for. Understand as we see these words as far as holy convocations and appointed times. We saw this last week, how this was a, a, a holy and appointed announcement that was proclaimed throughout all the land. It was something of a reminder. It was something to make sure that they understood understood this very important day. As we could equate it today, it would be something of our Christmas. Everybody knows this appointed day and time, especially kids. And parents know it because we understand that kids know it very well, that they're expecting something, right? And so for us, this for them, this was a very appointed time. It was a holy announcement that was given. Now, we want to understand, if you're just kind of jotting down your notes, the title of our sermon is the Lord's Passover. But also underneath, let's understand that it is a feast of deliverance. If we had to kind of label this feast, it is a feast of deliverance. And it goes back to the book of Exodus and it goes into chapter 12. I'm not going to take it for granted this morning that we understand all the things that I'm, all this is that I'm referring to, okay, that this passage is referring to. We understand that even in the beginning of Genesis that God had sought out a man. And a man's name was Abraham. And he kind of just basically tapped Abraham on the shoulder and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. There was sin in the world, of course, there was, uh, and, and there was just a wicked and ungodly earth and a g- ungodly people. And, and God just kind of taps this man on the shoulder. This man by Abram was his name, and God changes it to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, through your seed, through your, gener- through your uh, descendants, I'm going to make a great and powerful nation. You will be my people, and uh, I will be your God. And that's what God had this covenant with Abraham. And so with God, with Abraham, he has him there. And we understand not only Abraham, then he has his firstborn son, Isaac. And then he also has his, well, his promised son, Isaac. And then he has his next, uh, Isaac has his son, Jacob. And his name is changed to Israel. Israel, Jacob, he has 12 sons. And this generate, these, these children just grew and grew and grew. And the Bible says that it was going to be so numerous as far as the people, the Jewish people, that it would be more than, than you can count as far as the sand on the seashore. It was going to be that many people. And so these millions of people found themselves, because if you remember the story of Joseph getting sold into slavery by his brothers, and he ends up in Egypt, well, the whole nation of Israel ends up in Egypt. And then the Pharaoh kind of turns against them. Okay, I hope everybody's kind of sort of with me this morning, has the general gist of it. And so the people are there in Egypt, 
and they find themselves in slavery. They find themselves that are just working so hard for the people of Egypt. God's people, God's nation, holy nation, are there as slaves in this foreign land. Okay, and so then God raises up this one. You remember the story about old Moses, right? Moses is a little bitty baby there born in, the, in, that, in that water, uh, not born in that water, but placed in a basket into that, uh, in, into that river. And Pharaoh's daughter uh, takes him and she raises him and he grows up as, a, as an Egyptian, but he was a Jewish boy. And so you remember how he lives there. First 40 years, he's there living uh, in that situation. And then he runs. We can get into all of those stories. I don't want to do that this morning. He, is, he finds himself on the back side of the desert, the Bible tells us. And he lives there for 40 years of his life. And finally, Moses is there working. He's there working for his father-in-law, Jethro. And uh, I always just like that name a little bit. Give you a little smile this morning as I'm saying all these words, right? And so he's there on the back side of the desert. And finally, the Lord shows himself to Moses. You remember this. The bush was burning. It was there burning, but it happens all the time there in, the, in this desert area that, that Moses was in. But this was something unique and peculiar about this bush. It wasn't burning up. It was in the midst of that. The bush was just burning, and the Lord Jesus Christ was there in the midst of the bush and tells Moses to take off his sandals because the place that he stands is on holy ground. And he tells him, Moses, I want to use you to go back to Egypt and to lead your people out, my people, Israel. I want you to lead them out. And you remember Moses' excuse that he was not a good speaker and that he raises up his bro uh, Moses' brother Aaron to do it with him. And so they go into Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, will you please... If you remember uh, looking back at the beginning of the book of Exodus, they go in the first time to ask uh, Pharaoh just to go outside for three days and to worship the Lord God outside of, outside of Egypt, just to go worship. And Pharaoh was so disgusted really by that, uh, by that question and about that, uh, uh, by them asking that, that he makes them when they, he says no, first of all, but then he puts a quota on the work that they were to do for the people of Egypt. And so now it made it harder and tougher for them to even, the, in their slavery, in their work, now they had to fill a quota of the work that they were doing. And so it made it difficult for them to continue to do the things that, God, that, uh, that, that they were already doing because of Pharaoh's rejection. And then we understand that these 10 things start coming against Pharaoh because of Moses and him saying, let my people go. Let my people go out of this land. And there was these 10, we understood them as plagues, that came against the nation of Egypt and against Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would finally let the people go. My little girl, she's taking a little nap right there, but uh, uh, the end of school last year, she was able to, she's four years old, and she was able to name, and I don't, I wouldn't have put her on the spot this morning, but uh, she could name all 10 plagues just like that. Uh, and it wasn't because of me and my wife, it was because of the school that she was going to. But anyway, she would name all the 10 plagues. Well, the last plague was this Passover. When Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, this is, the, this is the thing that the Lord says. The Lord God says, please let us go. If not, he says, this is what needs to happen. And this is in Exodus chapter 12. He says, Pharaoh, the, the entire land, 
the entire nation of Egypt, including the Hebrew uh, people, including the Jewish people. He says, what you need to do is go and take a lamb and, and kill that lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost of your, each and every one of your homes. And he says, at nighttime, the death angel will come by and whoever's, whichever home that blood is not on the doorpost of that home, he goes, we'll take, the death angel will take the firstborn son. Now, how many of you are like me? Uh, this is not something that, that you would stress over. I wouldn't stress over this because guess what? I'm not the firstborn son. Amen. Uh, my brother, you know, he wanted to, you know, my parents decided to name him Gary Jr. He wanted, you know, they wanted to give him that junior name. Well, fine by me because this was not going to be on me. Okay, it was between he was going to be the one that would be sweating. Uh, Jake is the firstborn. Jake would be sweating. I, I would imagine little Jake uh, right there at, at, at time right before bed. He would probably go to mom and dad and say, uh, mom and dad, you do realize what Moses said that God said. And, and I guarantee you that firstborn son would be a little bit more concerned than O'Garen, right? Garen's the second born. Garen's the middle child. You know, I'm, I'm kind of over there doing my own thing. But the firstborn, he's, he's probably a little bit more vested in what mom and daddy's up to before going to bed. And, uh, and so, so Jake, I'm sure he looks at mom and dad and says, did y'all do exactly what Moses instructed us to do? And so this was that last plague. It was the 10th plague. And it tells us in Scripture that Pharaoh woke up in the middle of the night. And he sees his son was dead. He sees his son there lifeless because he had not displayed faith in the Lord God. And he was so enraged that he tells them, tells Moses and Aaron, get your people and get out of here. And so because of that 10th plague, the people of Israel were delivered from Egypt and they were sent away. And so and you, as we look at this and we understand this and just look a little closer, an innocent lamb was, was to take the place of, for the firstborn son. The blood had to be applied to the door and it was done by faith. A lot of times, you know, when we look at this, uh, and this is really f- real faith, and I, and I kind of put this definition uh, in my notes this morning. Faith is, is not just a leap in the dark. It's not just jumping off of something and hoping God catches us. Faith is what God said. Faith is what God said. And God is instructing to God's man, which was Moses. He said, Moses, this is what I'm telling you to tell the people is that you go and ply that blood on the door. And so for me, there was nothing for me if we were in that day for me to say, you know what? I can go off of God's history as far as, you know what? I saw my parents do this. Years before, they, they had applied the blood and then the death angel had passed by and nothing happened because they applied the blood by faith. You know, that, the, these people in, in Exodus chapter 12, they didn't have experience or history to go off of, is what I'm trying to tell you. They had to apply the blood of the Lord Jesus, uh, of this innocent lamb, on the door simply by faith that it, when the death angel passed by, they couldn't take it by chance to say, you know what, I'm just going to just trust God. Me and God got something worked out. Me and God have a history that I, all i got to do before bed is just pray, say, God, you've taken care of me in the past, and God, you're going to take care of me now. Well, guess what? If you didn't apply that blood on that door, 
your son, your firstborn son was going to die. And so they had to do that in faith. None of us this morning, none of us has passed through this life and lived to tell about it. Okay, And so for us, as we're going to get into Scripture in just a little bit, a little bit more about this, none of us has said, you know what, I have surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have given my life to Him. I have a relationship with Him. And I've died. And, I have a, and I've spent now eternity with Christ. Does that make sense to you? We don't know that we've never gone this way before to come back and say, listen, you better be saved. How are we saved? By simply faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us this is what you need to do for the blood to be applied to you. I'm kind of getting ahead of my sermon. But this is what you need to do to have faith applied to you, or the blood applied to you. You need to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the death angel passes by, that you won't be found dead and without the Lord Jesus Christ. Pharaoh had a hard lesson to learn. He learned it the hard way. And by his own son dying. And so as we see this, we understand that the blood had to be applied to the door by faith. And then that death angel passed by. To reject, by them rejecting to do it, what what Pharaoh did, and this is where America has a hard time understanding about Christianity, is for Pharaoh to reject what God had said was for him to accept judgment and death. By him rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and rejecting what God said by applying that blood on that door was for him to accept judgment and death. Now, we understand this lamb is an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've kind of already already kind of given us a sneak peek into the rest of my notes. But the lamb was an example of the Lord Jesus Christ and how how this lamb was perfect. We understand as you read scripture and, under, and, and look back that this lamb was picked about, ten, about a handful of days before that it was, that it was slain uh, there for the Passover. Okay, they, had, they would inspect it, they would look at it, and it was a young, innocent lamb. And, and it was there taken in that young age of about a year old, and it was perfect. It, it, was, it was without spot, it was without blemish. Like I said, they would even take it, they wouldn't just take it on that day to kill it. They would take it a, a days prior before, uh, beforehand to see it through to make sure it was perfect. Make sure there was nothing wrong with this. And that lamb, it had to be slain. The blood had to uh, be applied for the, for the sins of the people so that when the death angel passed by, again, it would be that substitute. It would be that, that one that would take the place instead of that firstborn son being slain for us. I've already read for you in the book of Revelation. Chapter 4, as, had, as the Lord Jesus Christ, or chapter 5, as the Lord Jesus Christ is that one that was slain for us. Now, I wish I was very creative this morning. I wish I was very creative and a very good storyteller, but I'm not. I'm really not. Uh, uh, A preacher, I heard him say it like this. I'll just say it this way. I've heard a preacher get up that was a very good storyteller, and he told a story about a little little dog, how they were on a a trip. And a little dog was there uh, on this trip, and they stopped to get some fuel. They stopped to get some gas. And they, uh, they had just kind of taken the leash of the dog and, and his little, and his little uh, with a leash, and he ties it to the, to the bumper of the car as they were getting gas and re, you know, refueling and getting something to drink. And uh, they get back in the car, and they make their way, and all the people in the congregation just knew what was next, right? 
they knew that that dog was still attached to the back of that vehicle. And you see the expression of people, that poor little innocent dog that died. And, and, and people, you can play on that emotion, right? Because, oh, that poor dog. This morning I came into this church drenched with sweat. Now this is a real story. I came in drenched with sweat. My wife, probably the same. Looked like she changed. Yep. No, she changed. Okay. She, yeah. Okay. You had a different shirt on when I saw you last, I thought. But anyway. The, our neighbor just moved in, and he had two little, little ducks. They were probably just a few weeks old. And uh, I don't know if our dogs got into that cage or the or the ducks got out and the dogs carry them over to our house. Well, we're fighting with our dogs this morning, right before coming to church, we're already dressed, trying to save these two little innocent ducks' lives. Literally, I don't know if one made it or not. Uh, the other one, uh, we're hoping when we get back home that they're still living and breathing. But we felt bad for those two little innocent ducks. And the reason I tell you both of those stories, as far as the the made-up one about the dog, you know, losing its life, is that we'll get really, really, really emotional about animals and about something that was just given up uh, for no reason whatsoever. And imagine this morning if we were to be like these Jewish people that had to kill their innocent lamb to come and worship the Lord on this day of Passover, as we're understanding here. And you would say, you know what, that's really unfair. That is really unjust. And you know what, you are 100% right, it is. But we'll get more emotional about those things. But for us to truly understand, for us to truly understand, you know, there was an old song that we used to sing, an old southern gospel song that used to say, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And I could sing it for you, but I won't do it. I'll spare you. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. But guess what? It was your sin who nailed him to the cross. You were the one that was spitting in his face. If you've never seen yourself as that, as a sinner, I would say to you, I'm not sure if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you have to see yourself as a sinner. You have to see as the one that nailed Jesus to the cross. You're the one that needs to see, we need to see, that it was our sin that put him there on the cross. And then not only that, but he was the one that took our sin for us. He, we get so emotional about animals and about things that are so innocent, but he was the one that was innocent. And his innocence wasn't just on because of, of lack of, you know, because of a dog being ruthless. It was because of us being ruthless. It's because of our sin. Any sin that we have committed in our lives, those things were placed on the Lord Jesus Christ's shoulders for him to die on the cross for our sins. It was my sin that put him to the cross. It was me who did that to that innocent lamb, which was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it wasn't for him just to be that example. It wasn't for him to be the teacher, but it was him as a substitute for me because I was the one that deserved death. I was the one that deserved to die because of my sin, my sin. But he took my place. He was the substitute for me. This was very, this was something, and we look at these four, these five verses, four, five, six, seven, eight, just to be sure that I do know uh, four, 
4 through 8 is five verses, by the way. Uh, I had one little guy correct me one time because uh, I said verses 4 through 8, and he said, that's four verses. No, it's not. It's five verses. Okay. But anyway, in these five verses, let's understand that this was something very important for the Jewish people. As I talked to you about a while ago, as far as Abraham, this was something that was very unique to them as a Jewish people. You say, how does it apply to us today? Because this was exclusive for the Jewish people. You had to have that covenant of being a Jewish person. Each male son had this this marking, the covenant marking as far as the circumcision for them to be able to uh, uh, worship worship God through the Passover. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, we saw this last week as well in Hebrews, it talks about a new covenant now in the Lord Jesus Christ that we have. It's no longer just to this select group of people that had to be born into this Jewish family. Now it is open to the entire world. But it's for the people now that is not circumcised as we understand in the Old Testament as the males were. But now he's talking about circumcision of the heart. He's talking about the people who now have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that now you can share in this new Passover in the Lord God himself. And in other words, what I'm saying, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then you can feast on the Lord Jesus Christ. People come to me many times, many times. Uh, I think about one young lady that was wrestling with her salvation, had been wrestling with salvation for years. And I told her, this is the reason I think it's so important for you to understand where you are in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you need to understand dealing with past sin and dealing with where you are right now is to understand, was I doing that in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Did I have the Holy Spirit inside of me when I was dealing with those things or did I not? And for us, we're going through this life, many of us are going through this life every day thinking that we have the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And we're feeding on him, thinking that we're feeding on him, but you can only feed on the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Jewish people were able to feast on this Passover, it was exclusive. Jesus Christ is just as exclusive for you to feed on him that's if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for me, I deal with a lot of young children, but I will say this. uh, I've said this many times. I don't care if you're a sweet, older uh, lady or man that have that you may have said that that you have a relationship with the Lord or you're a little child that you're understanding what it is as far as right and wrong and who God is and all these different things. Uh, The Bible explains to us that a sinner is a sinner. And it doesn't matter how long you think you've been saved. You've got to understand what it truly is to have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. And for you to, if you've never trusted, then you don't have a relationship with him. And so, but if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be able to be feasting on him. And that's what it kind of moves toward. And we're almost done in verse six. It says, and on the 15th day, on the next day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread. These two kind of went together. And it was first, it was the introduction into into them uh, being delivered out of the nation of Israel. And for us, when I say feasting on him, it's about us having a relationship with God. This is what starts our whole thing off in our life It's for us to first and foremost to have a relationship with God. Now, listen, I kind of I deal with my children. uh, uh, I, I take this very serious. One of the most serious things that I do. Finishing this thought as far as making sure that we have a relationship with God 
is that traditionally in the Baptist church and in, and in a lot of similar faiths of Baptists, that we'll, we'll just teach these things as far as coming down and praying a prayer and getting saved and being baptized and telling them you're secure in the Lord, you have, and I believe in secu eternal security, I do. But we'll give them this false assurance and when they go out and life continues to beat them over, they have no power of God because they've never experienced true salvation. And so for my kids that we have wrestled with them and getting them to understand truly what salvation is. And many times we have baptized little children so often. I guarantee you I have a six-year-old child that's in children's church and I, I will put you to the test on my little six-year-old. And you ask him all the little church lingo of A, B, C of salvation. And if he doesn't knock it out of the park, I'll buy you lunch today. I'm telling you, he'll knock it out of the park. But little Joel doesn't understand his sin. And we will baptize those little ones and we'll send them out without the power of God on their lives. May we be careful. And then at, in, in church talk, we'll say, you know what? Well, they're just sowing their wild oats and the Bible says that they'll return. The Bible doesn't say that, first of all. We'd have to get into the technical term of all that. The Bible says if you train them up in the way that they shall go, they will not depart, is what the Scripture says. Okay? But we'll kind of do this as a prodigal son, and they'll come back uh, to church. No, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. If we train them up and we allow them to see God for who He is, and we teach them what it is to really feast on the Lord Jesus Christ, to really have a relationship with God, and we be a little patient, and I'm a person who was saved at a young age, and I'm not anything special. I understand that. And it's a difficult road, road uh, even after salvation. But let's make sure that they have the power of God. Because when life hits them at 10 and 15 and 30 and 60 and 80 years old and 90 years old, they're going to need the power of God in their life. And to send them out without that power, God help us this morning. Okay, so anyway, we need to make sure that we have trusted on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're living for him. It, it first and foremost is that relationship with God. Just like this was the start of their calendar, this is the start of our life. When we're saved, now we begin to start living. And when he's talking about this as a feast, it's not what we can't do anymore. It's now what we can enjoy. To be able to not to be able to feast on the Lord Jesus Christ and now that we can feast in him, and in other words, let me just break it down to you like this. I can't be that friend to you that I always need to be. I can't be that pastor to you that I always need to be. I can't be there as your guardian angel. But if you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and you're there alone and you're facing maybe depression or you're facing some anxiety issues, you can go to the Lord Jesus Christ and he can give you the strength that you need. You're having difficult times when it comes to being the husband or being the spouse, the, the wife that you need to be, being the parent that you need to be, being the young person that you need to be. You can go to the Lord Jesus Christ and find the strength in him that only he can provide. That is where you find your feasting on the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. And because of these things, he tells us, now, once you have done the Passover and understood the deliverance, he goes for seven days in, in verse 6, he says, I want you to eat of unleavened bread. And I promise we're almost done. For seven days following the Passover, he tells them, no yeast in your home. Now, again, I wanted to be a little creative. I keep saying that each and every week, but I'm just, I'm not, a, uh, this is, you know, my, my mother-in-law makes these really good yeast rolls. 
and she'll set them out there on the table. And, and when, when, they, when they're there, they'll begin to do what? They'll begin to rise. They'll begin to puff up. In the Bible, leaven is a picture of sin. And it's really a picture of, of us, of how in ourselves, when we're young, we're kind of small, and then we'll begin to grow, and it, the more puffed up that we will be. Leaven sits, sets in. Sin grows us and grows us to be more puffed up in our own self, and more sin begins to just build up inside of us. He tells them as an example, once you are saved, let's knock off, let's check off the box of salvation first. For seven days, I want you to practice with no leaven in your homes. Anything that you eat, get it out of your homes for seven days, no leaven. Because like I said, leaven is a depiction of sin. And in 2 Corinthians, you can write this verse down, 2 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 14, all the way through chapter 7, verse 1, tells us about a cleansing. Tells us, do not be unequally yoked. We, we kind of like to use that verse because of a young boy or a young girl. But he's telling us that as far as even in our lives, not to get messy in, in our lives with sin and to bring on these things for us. It is a time of cleansing to say, you know what? I won't use my mouth to talk about other things, things that are not godly in my life. I won't do those things. I, I will stay away from sin. I'm going to get these things out of my life. I'm going to put them outside of my home. This is what he was talking about. And let me say this. Some of us, we think that our mouths are not used as instruments of, of evil and bad. And it's one of the, the Bible tells us in the book of James, who can tame this tongue? It's so evil and ungodly. We use it so often. And a little bit of sin, a little bit of leaven will leaven the entire lump. A little bit of leaven and a little bit of sin will just creep in and it will mess up the whole bunch. But he tells us as Christians that we need to be living our lives in such a way that it is that, that we are being cleansed from all of this sin and unrighteousness that is in our lives. Looking more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ and less and less like us. It was Passover, then it was unleavened bread. It's in the right order. Now I want to say this to you. We get so wrapped up in what this person said or what that person said and what this religion says and what that religion says. Can we just be a people about the word of God? My daughter did a really good job, my oldest child. She did a really good job this week and say, how do you just know? How do you know that it's this way or that way when there's so many different religions out there? Now, some of us grew up like me because daddy was a Baptist. But my daddy was a Baptist so much that he understood that he was a Christian first, that he had a relationship with God first. And it just so happened that he said, when I read the Bible for myself, that I believe it lines up with the Baptist faith. It just so happened. Because if you're hanging on to being Baptist first, Lord, help us. I pray that you're a Christian first. And I'm more worried about being Christ-like than I am being Baptist-like. So to be Christ-like, when I look at this scripture and I say salvation, what is it? 
Well, even when salvation, God had given salvation to the Jewish people, the example of it all the way back in the book of Leviticus and the book of Exodus, it was telling us it was, a, it was about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So get the name off of everything. I'm saying off of me, off of my life. Get the name off of it. And just what is God trying to say to, his, to mankind today? God wants a relationship with you. Plain and simple. He wants and desires a relationship with you. And then when you say, you know what, what, what about works, Garen? What, what about works? Because a lot of times we think if we just are a, a good enough person, if we do the right things, that we can really do things. And I, I don't even say that outside of the, you know, like I said, even when it comes to the, the Baptist church or, or a lot of our evangelical churches, we kind of have our own little, little formula of works formula and say to do these things in faith. He's telling us to have faith, to just trust God, to put that blood on the doorpost. The blood is the simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Apply that to our lives. And then when we do that, and he's, and he's proven himself to us in salvation, that now we live holy lives for him. That's when our works begin to kick in. It is evidence of what has already been done in our life through salvation. And just to be very clear, it tells us, and when I said that reference a while ago, a little bit 11 will mess up the whole bunch. That's Galatians 5.9. As Christians today, you say, you know what, Garen, yes, I understand that I am a believer. I understand that I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you please, will I please, right now in my life, begin to just root out the leaven that is in my life? Lord, find in me what's going on. You know, we like to talk about old songs, and I'll, I'll sing one right now, is, is uh, it's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. If everyone in this room got honest, we'd have, we'd have what the Bible explains as a revival. We would experience it. We would see it. And so as we go out today and as we have a time of response, will each and every one of us look inside of us and say, God, what is some things, some leaven, what is some sin that is in my life? Will you root it out? Will you get it out? Because the older I get, the worse it gets. And I've got to deal with it. You want to see where you are in the Lord? When's the last time you confessed it all to him? When's the last time that you got just you, you sinless, you just knocked it all out? Lord, I feel like I'm confessed up. I feel like that, I'm, that I have just displayed all of those things to the Lord. And guess what? The next day, you're going to find yourself in a mess again, and you're going to have another list. And it won't be as long as the long list that it probably was months since the last time. Right? But it, depending how short is that sin list in your life, that's a good example for us to live by. If it's weeks since you've exhausted yourself as far as pouring out yourself to the Lord and dealing with sin... You're not where you need to be in the Lord. Let it be daily. Deal with it as it comes throughout your entire day. Deal with the sin immediately because that sin, as Galatians tells us, will just continue to grow and develop in our life if it's not dealt with. For any of you this morning, you say, Garen, I've heard all the church talk. I've heard all the things as far as save this and save that. And it just don't make a lot of sense to me. I understand. We complicate things a lot of times. The bottom line is God wants 
and desires a relationship with you. He has paved the way. He was that innocent lamb that was slain for you. He is the one that died in substitute for my death that I deserved. And he did once, amen, somebody's having a good time. He wants and desires that relationship for you to be brought in to his family. And I pray this morning that you would experience that. I pray that you in your life would put that blood of faith that was applied to those doorposts, that you would apply it to the door of your heart and your life. And I encourage you, and I, that's, that's the most important decision. That's why we're here. It's to glorify God and to bring more into his family. And I pray this morning that you would take those two things serious, salvation and then walking in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. Thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Lord, I thank you so much for salvation, for having a plan for mankind. Having a plan for mankind in such a way, Lord God, that we don't have to do certain things. We don't have to go about certain ways, Lord God. But just simple obedience in our faith in you, Lord God. Just trusting you of what your word says we ought to do in, our, in a place of surrender to you, Lord God, for us to have this relationship with you. And I pray, Lord God, not only for those who have never experienced that, but for the ones who have experienced salvation, that we would get real this morning, that we would get honest about our spiritual condition and our spiritual lives. Why are we acting the way that we're acting? Why are we not walking in the Spirit? Why are we not in unison with our brother and our sister in the Lord? Is it because of leaven? Is it because of sin in my life? Am I going about my daily routine of asking forgiveness and being right and clean before you in my life and getting that that sin out of the way, confessing it to you? I pray we are. I pray we do. If not, I pray we start this morning. We do all of this, Lord God, to bring glory to your name not only in our own lives, but in display for this world who needs you, Lord God, in their lives. May we be not only a good, but a great representation of who you are. Many people don't trust you today, Lord God, because of us. And I pray, Lord God, that we would be the people that you would want us to be. Again, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Me and Brother Richard will be up front. I pray you take this time not only to sing praises to the Lord, but really that you would deal with the Lord this morning in your life. Salvation. And then if you've been saved, first of all, deal with salvation if you've never been saved. You've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, a better way of putting it. Deal with him this morning. Answer his call. But if you're a Christian this morning, you're dealing with sin. Deal with it. Get serious about it as we sing.